This is the Macmillan Library Podcast, a community conversation maker, bringing you curated conversations with Macmillan librarians, community members, authors, musicians, artists, and more. Welcome back to the Macmillan Conversation Maker Podcast. Today I'm going to read the short story winners from this spring the Quarantini Short Story Contest winners. I sincerely thank all those who participated in the contest. We look forward to having many more in the coming years. We had a record number of stories submitted this spring, and we also had contests this summer that just finished up, and we'll be reading those winners in an upcoming podcast. So stay tuned. The stories for the Quarantini contest were ranked by four judges and then averaged for a final score. If you'd like to read them, I will link them in the show notes, and you can also find them at macmillanlibrary.org backslash quarantini, Q-U-A-R-A-N-T-I-N-Y. First place, Mistakes Were Made by Tila Davis. Second place, Wayne Newton's Next by Steve Ropp. Third place, The Proper Way to Eat a Cookie by Don Christensen. And please forgive me if I've mispronounced your name or any of the things in your story. Again, congratulations to all the winners of these great stories, and I hope you all enjoy hearing them and reading them and think about submitting a short story of your own to an upcoming contest. And now, the stories. Mistakes were made by Tila Davis. I made a mistake. Dan reread the words he typed so far, pausing and sitting back, unsure how to proceed. He had indeed made a mistake, to put it lightly. Lucky for him, he realized it almost immediately. Unlucky for him. The revelation didn't much matter. He huffed at that thought. That's what got him into this mess in the first place. Matter. Well, maybe not matter specifically, but the idea of it. The idea of things being made up of other, even smaller things, banging around in constant discord, yet harmoniously sticking together all the same. Particles. It was all about particles. Dan picked up his pen and made a note on the post-it next to his computer, the one the size of his hand, and scribbled out, Particles. Dancers. Samba correlation? He frowned at the note, crossing off the flagrant nonsense and rewrote something more coherent and competent. Particles. Dancers. Cha-cha. Correlation? Yes, that was it. Much more understandable. If he was losing his mind needed to make sure what he left behind made sense. Otherwise, how would anyone realize the mistake? Detour done, Dan turned back to the large monitor in front of him, kneeling up on the chair to make his eyes level with it. I made a mistake, and all hope is lost. Dan pursed his lips. Was that a bit too melodramatic? Was he over-sensationalizing the facts of the case? Dan had never considered himself prone to histrionic fits. Then again, he'd never been in a situation like this before. He'd never really questioned his place in the world either. Accepting he was but one fleck of a particle-made matter floating amongst other 
such organisms on the surface of a questionably inhabitable planet. Now he realized just how small that felt. Still, he decided, no need to be hammy. He deleted the newest edition. I made a mistake, and as such, I will not be in tomorrow. There, he sat back and thought, that's better. He did feel a bit out of sorts for not giving the typical two weeks of time beforehand, but it was a necessary evil. He wasn't sure he would be in tomorrow, or simply be tomorrow at this rate, so he figured something was better than nothing. Yes, better something than nothing. Although, his hands hovered over the two feet of keyboard, maybe that was a flawed ideology to have in hindsight. Particles hadn't just gotten Dan here, now kneeling on a stack of books set atop the cushioning of his ergonomic chair, canceling out the comfortable human-engineered efficiency. The drive for results also had a keen hand in the matter. Better something than nothing. It was his boss's motto, maybe even his daily affirmation. That would explain quite a bit, actually. Dan shook his head. This wasn't the time for introspection. It was the time for facts. Which, now that he looked over what he'd typed so far, it wasn't quite right, was it? He hit the backspace and replaced the offending line with something better suited. Mistakes were made, and as such, I will not be in tomorrow. Yes, that was more correct. Less subjective. Something is better than nothing, but something worth doing is worth doing properly, and shouldn't be rushed. An idea Dan has remembered a little too late. Engineering and harnessing the particles shouldn't have been so hard. It was matter, right? Food matter, but still. Dan knew matter. He'd studied it for years. It was his bread and butter. So he's gone ahead on the hypotheticals. He'd done the testing. Particles, cha-chaing around each other, ready to be replicated, grown, big, bountiful crops to end world hunger. He had been sure he had been A thought occurred to him, and he stood up on the chair, grabbing the pen with both hands, crossing off cha-cha, and instead putting down watusi. It was the steady bob, the slowed-down flailing, right? Had to be. Mistakes were made, and as such, I will not be in tomorrow. You will find my final notes next to my keyboard. Please refer to them for a reversal proposal. That should do it, right? If they couldn't understand straightforward notes, There was no other way he could possibly make it make any more sense. They were simple, right to the point. The unholy and completely banned ringtone of a cell phone reverberated off of the desk, butted up to his, interrupting his thoughts. Dan stood up on his stack of books to look over the layers of papers and contraband junk food littering the surface. He rolled his eyes and turned back to to his computer. He rolled his eyes and turned back to his computer. Rob. Dan sighed as the tone continued, relishing the silence when it stopped. That's something he wasn't going to miss. Rob. And all of his annoying habits. Like today, he thought. Rob had come in earlier than him, and now was off who knew where. Eating Cheetos and not doing his job. Or had been eating. The half-consumed bag had been carelessly tossed atop the desk and cheesified puff corn pieces littered the surface. And, Dan noted, it looked like an ant was taking advantage of the free spread. Gross, Dan sniffed. 
hoping it would stay on Rob's side, although he already saw the pest beginning to traverse the letters that spilled over onto Dan's desk, making a mess and leaving his phone on ring. Terrible scientist, Dan thought, crawling onto the desk surface to lean over his keyboard. Mistakes were made, and as such, I will not be in tomorrow. You will find my final notes next to my keyboard. Please refer to them for a reversal proposal. The particle projection beam was miscalibrated and thusly an inverse in our proposed hypothetical process stands to reason. Dan took a moment to catch his breath. Cardio had never been his strong suit. But there was something to be said about running around your keyboard to pick up the old heartbeat. Maybe he could take up running if things worked out. Mistakes were made, and as such, I will not be in tomorrow. You will find my final notes next to my keyboard. Please refer to them for a reversal proposal. The particle projection beam was miscalibrated, and thusly, an inverse in our proposed hypothetical process stands to reason the numbers calculated by myself. Dan shook his head, craning it upward. No, no, no. That wasn't right. He took in a large breath and started jumping around his keys, mindful of the open spaces beneath them. Mistakes were made, and as such, I will not be in tomorrow. You will find my final notes next to my keyboard. Please refer to them for a reversal proposal. The particle projection beam was miscalibrated and thusly an inverse in our proposed hypothetical process stands to reason the numbers calculated by our tem are int kirkt and end frith exmanat polgs eleven burr. Dan was truly winded, and as he stared up, shifting his head left to right, reading for mistakes, he sucked in lungfuls of air. It wasn't as eloquent as he would normally type, but he supposed it didn't matter and would have to do. Ha, matter. Watsuing around like no other. He shook his head, hoisting himself up the D key to sign off. He jumped up and felt the key sink under his weight. D. The key on its return to a resting position flung Dan up, and he had enough sense to aim his body in the direction of his next target, landing just barely and catching the edge of the A with his fingers. He stood up, and after a few extra hops got the letter. D-A. The springboard sent him halfway there, and he hit the keys with a run, leaping across them to get to his final destination. He only had one key press left in him, and he wanted to make it count. He jumped, hoping for the best. He had a few seconds of hang time before smacking into the key with much more force than he intended, like belly flopping into a pool and the resulting clack was deafening. He rolled off, avoiding the gaps on his way, and sat on his desk, staring up. Well, he supposed it was close enough. Dab. He stood up, and after catching his breath, walked over to his post-it note. By now, a good mile long with dejection. He had to admit, he was second-guessing Watusi. The flailing wasn't it. He knew that now but it was still just out of reach what the answer was. Dan sat down on the pen, ready to wait for his superior, or Rob, when a rustling from the canyon dividing both their desks caught his attention, or, no, not a rustling, a whistling. It was a whistle. Whoa, he thought, 
wishing he had a notebook in his pocket when he'd gone into the particle room. This was something. He was no ant scientist, but surely even those who were would have been floored by this. Ants whistling 30s big band music? And he thought the day had been weird so far. What a lark. He jumped off the cap and waited for it to come closer, holding in his breath. Finally, finally, the creature uttering those notes crested into Dan's view and his smile fizzled. An arm waved at him and he reluctantly waved back, not bothering to hide his scowl. This was not the scientific discovery he wanted to make. A few minutes later, his lab partner finally made it to the post-it and offered an armload of Cheetos in greeting. Dan! Hey, buddy, can you believe it? We did it! Well, we did it in reverse, but we did it! Dan wanted to ignore him. But when you are one of two marginally small specks of dust, sentient enough to talk, you don't say, Rob. His lack of enthusiasm didn't seem to phase Rob, who dropped his armload and rushed Dan with a hug covering them both in orange powder. They separated, and Dan tried to beat all of the dust off, but it was futile. Small particles are a pain that way. So, glad as I am, he lied, to see you. Have you given any thought to undoing this? A blank expression stared back at him, and he sighed. Why had Dan been given so much intelligence, only to be surrounded by idiots? He sighed and tried to explain. It's a dance, Rob. It's a dance. I thought it was a samba. Saw Rob open his mouth and cut him off. No, I know it's not. Crossed it off and put cha-cha. He waited for Rob to follow, nodding. And when he opened his mouth to speak this time, they both said, Watusi, and nodded before frowning. It's not. I know. They sat down on the pen, each feeling the answer lingering on the tip of their collective tongues. It's close. I know. They looked at each other and hummed. But that, that was something, wasn't it? What were you humming before? Swing. Swing, Dan repeated. Swing. Time stretched between them, broken by distracting hums and fidgety movements. Overtime with Rob was looking to be worse than usual. After a bit, Dan snapped at him to stop being so jittery, and it was like time stopped completely its little particulate track around the universe. That's it, Dan cried, and they yelled in unison, Jitterbug! They stared at each other and whooped, cheering each other with fistfuls of junk food. Yes, it's so clear now. Jitterbug, of course. It's the buzzing, the bouncing, the beat. Dan kicked the food out of the way and dragged Rob up from the perch. He wrapped his arms around the pen's grip and got into a lifting stance. Come on, grab the other end. We've got to write this down. Wayne Newton's Next by Steve Ropp Marilyn Wideholds downshifted her 97 Plymouth Voyager into third. The engine whined, causing what was left of the minivan's muffler to rattle in distress. Her two children slept soundly in the back of the vehicle their dreams undisturbed. Ahead lay the neon glow of Las Vegas. Behind, a peach-colored sky in the rearview mirror signaled the coming dawn. I sure hope that cheater is still employed, she thought. Either that or dead. 
She had been totally unprepared for the divorce, and it had been ugly. He left her with nothing, not even a single support payment. And a woman with nothing more to lose can do a lot of thinking in five years. So Marilyn, having coaxed some help from her new best friend at the library, Mr. Google, had tracked down the one Joe Wideholst in America she believed to be her ex-husband. Vegas, of course, she had thought. Where else would he be? Her trip to Perko's Pawn and Gun had been a quick one. Lucky I didn't ditch this ring, she told old man Perko. Yeah, she's a beaut, Perko replied. You think you'll be back for it? Not a chance, Marilyn answered smugly. Then she smiled and asked, You think I can get a handgun for it? Well, let me see. I can probably give you that twenty-two over there, though it's kind of tiny. That'll be perfect. Some shells, too, okay, Mr. P? Marilyn eased her minivan into the heart of the Las Vegas Strip, driving as quietly as her now-failing manifold allowed. Even before dawn, the streets were alive with nighthawks, hustlers, and showgirls, all out to make a buck. Marilyn wheeled into the Flamingo Hotel parking lot. Wayne Newton smiled at her from a billboard above. Mr. Las Vegas was an entertainer she had always despised, but that didn't bother her now. She was entertaining other thoughts at the moment. Joe Weidholz was the night pit manager at the Flamingo's Casino. At least, that's what Marilyn's research had revealed. So, leaving her two sleeping treasures, she locked the van and strode into the hotel, hoping to catch her ex at the end of his shift. Her bedraggled clothing announced her financial status to the clerks at the front desk. Their greeting oozed prejudice. Do you have a reservation here, madame? The first one asked. I'm sorry, no, Marilyn answered. I'm looking for Joe Weidholz. I understand he works here. Oh, he did work here, the second clerk explained coolly. Until a few weeks ago, his fingers got a little sticky. You might find him at his home, on the other side of town, if he's not in jail. Marilyn returned to her van to find Anita rousing from slumber. Mama, where you been? She yawned. Where are we? We're in Las Vegas, honey, Marilyn replied warmly. Now get your brother up and we'll find us some breakfast. Few late-night stragglers finishing their meals at the Waffle House remained oblivious to Marilyn and her sleepy-eyed kids. After a round of silver dollars, topped with chocolate chips, the youngsters were ready for their next adventure. And so was Marilyn. Over breakfast, she had thought through her plan. Say, she said to waitress Dottie, whose gum-chewing was the only offensive thing about her, does this town have a Walmart? Sure does, hon, Dottie replied, gum cracking. Just a couple blocks over on McMillan Street. You can't miss it. Thanks a lot. Come on, you knuckleheads. On this January Wednesday at 6.30 a.m. in Vegas, the Walmart parking lot looked like a Northwoods campground. Motorhomes, RVs everywhere, each using Walmart's free overnight parking policy. Marilyn pulled up to the cart corral. As she'd hoped, one cart remained. She helped her kids out of the van and squatted. Look. Marilyn began seriously. There's a friend I've got to visit just a few blocks from here. While I'm doing that, I need you two to take that grocery cart and search around for soda cans, just like we've done before, okay? Yes, Mother, Anita said. Little Joe looked scared. 
Little Joe, Marilyn asked. You're going to be a big boy now, right? Yes, Mama, Little Joe answered, voice trembling. But Mama, we've never done this without ye before. When are you coming back? Only be twenty minutes or so, Marilyn assured the two. Try over in those ditches first, Marilyn pointed to the culverts along the adjacent four-lane street. In her minivan, Marilyn got out her MapQuest maps and turned toward the address of one Mr. Joel Wideholtz. For fifteen minutes, the children scoured the ditches. Soon the grocery cart contained all the cans the ditches would render, and they steered the rusty contraption back toward the cart corral. Anita shivered in the cool morning air, and now wrapped her arm around her little brother. From behind one of the RVs, a man buttoning a Walmart smock walked over to Anita and little Joe. He took a piece of paper from his pocket and thrust it into Joey's bare fist, then hurried away. The two children looked at each other, and then at the piece of paper, which read, This coupon, good for a free night stay at the Flamingo Hotel, includes a family pass to the Wayne Newton Show, Tuesday through Thursday only. Stay and play at the Flamingo Hotel. When Anita and Little Joe looked up, the man was standing at the side door of Walmart, smiling at them. Enjoy, he yelled, and disappeared inside. Not a minute later, Marilyn drove up. She was driving a Pontiac Sunfire and yelled out the window, Forget those cans, guys. Come on, let's go. Anita and Little Joe jumped in the car. Little Joe pushed their sleeping bags and clothing over to make room in the back seat. Mommy, where'd you get this car? he asked. It's a present from my friend Joey, she answered, smiling at him now. Then she looked at Anita and asked, What's that paper you've got there? Some Walmart guy just gave it to us, Anita replied. Look, Mother, it says it's good for a free night at the Flamingo. And the Wayne Newton show, too. Can we go? Marilyn studied the paper for a moment and then said matter-of-factly, Well, thank you, Walmart. This couldn't have come at a better time. I do believe we found a better way to live and play. With the rising sun glinting off the rearview mirror, Marilyn turned the car back towards the Flamingo. The End The Proper Way to Eat a Cookie by Dawn Christensen Dread twisted Joy's stomach as she thought of the day ahead of her. This would be her first day back at school since the treatment, and she didn't feel ready. She grabbed the sticky note off the bathroom mirror. As usual, Mom was long gone at work already, but she always left messages for Joy on the mirror. Usually there were reminders. As usual, Mom was long gone at work already, but she always left messages for Joy on the mirror. Usually they were reminders, but lately they've only been sweet notes of encouragement. It read, You're beautiful, my sunshine. Keep your chin up. Mom. Joy sighed, dropping the note to the bathroom counter. She didn't feel beautiful. Her hair was gone and she looked frail and weak. How could she be beautiful after all that? Leaning in over the sink, she gazed at her reflection. Her makeup was perfect, everything exactly as it should be, including the always messy eyeliner. Today it was flawless. But those eyes, blue eyes stared back at her, sad and alone. Her gaze traveled to her scalp, where little blonde hair started growing back. Bringing her wig up to her scalp, she compared the shades, fairly close. 
not enough for people to notice, hopefully. Hurrying through the rest of her morning routine, she made it to the bus stop with a few minutes to spare. Kicking at a pebble on the ground, she waited. Joy, you're home, a voice called behind her. Her heart skipped a beat at the sound of his voice. Turning around, she smiled. It was her new, very attractive neighbor. Aaron just moved here early this summer. She had a chance to meet him right before she left for her treatment, and ever since then she couldn't stop thinking about him. He was tall and had amazing curly brown hair, and those eyes, oh, those eyes which could melt any girl's heart with a glance. How was your stay? He asked as he walked up and gave her a side hug. His arm around her shoulders was heavy, and she winced at the pain. Recovering before he could notice, she forced a smile and lied. It was great. She hadn't told anyone from school the real truth. All of them thought she moved in with relatives. Carefully constructing a web of lies, she had everyone thinking her relatives were going through a hard time. Supposedly wanting to help, she moved in for a while to help with their kids. No one knew the truth, and she was going to keep it that way. After all, the treatment was successful. She would recover and move on with life as if nothing ever happened and no one needed to know. My relatives have got their feet under them now. She kicked out a pebble on the curb. They didn't need my help anymore, so I was able to come home. Looking up, she stared into his eyes. He gazed back. What if he saw through it all? That's great, they're doing better. I'm happy you're back. School will be much better with you. She felt her face warming, and her wig felt crooked. She could only hope he wouldn't notice. It was time she changed topics. Her lungs greedily drank in the cool air. She hadn't noticed she had stopped breathing till now. Feels so good to be back, I didn't even know I missed this old bus stop. Needing him to stop looking at her, she looked around as if remembering good old times. That was when she noticed her old neighborhood friend, short little Samuel, walking up the street. A twinge of guilt stabbed her stomach. Samuel was the only real friend she ever had and she hadn't talked to him since entering high school. He was her best bud growing up. They shared so many adventures when they were younger. From playing in the woods together, to him teaching her how to properly eat a chocolate chip cookie, to the time they even started a neighborhood lawn mowing business together. But all that changed in high school. Everyone at school thought he was weird, kind of a nerd. Being so smart in grade school, they advanced him two whole grades, so even though he was a junior, he should technically be a freshman. As they started high school, Joy finally saw that being friends with him was keeping her from other friendships. She didn't want him holding her back socially, so she let him go. Earbuds jammed in his ears. Samuel listened to classical music as he weaved through the crowded hall. Since he was so small for his age, he possessed many abilities his peers didn't, including the ability to squeeze through crowded spaces with little effort. As usual, he kept his head on a swivel. Being small had its positives, but the huge downer was the bullies. Yes, music was a stress reliever to him, but the trade-off was the loss of hearing his surroundings. The harassment was an extreme, mostly verbal snipes he ignored. But if he could avoid getting slammed around, it was even better. Today, though, he wasn't just looking to avoid people. He was also looking for someone, 
Seeing Joy on the bus this morning, his mind wouldn't leave her alone. She seemed different somehow, and he couldn't quite place it. Definitely skinnier, that could be it, but it seemed like there was more. Maybe staying with her family was hard on her. Someone grabbed him from behind, putting his head in a chokehold. They tore out an earbud. Hey, Tiny, what you listening to? Samuel didn't even have to guess who it was behind him. He already knew by the voice. It was Aaron, the new neighborhood kid who tortured his life. Classical? Aaron shoved him away. To make you smarter? Just keep listening, he mocked. His posse laughed and they turned to go. You'll get so smart your brain will explode. Anger burned within him. Comeback after comeback raced through his mind, but he stayed quiet. No use saying anything. It'd only make things worse. Plugging his earbud back in and weaved through the students in the other direction. There was a pause in his music as the next song began. Suddenly his ears were assaulted with Carly Rae's song, Call Me Maybe. His little sister must have messed with his playlist again. If this song was played only a few minutes early, Aaron would have heard. They would never leave him alone again. Making a mental note to fix his list later, he spotted Joy up ahead. She stopped at the water fountain. Time seemed to slow. She was only ten feet away. He should say something. But what? He pulled an earbud out. She was at the taller fountain. He could use the shorter one. He preferred that one anyways. Fit his height. Insecurity flooded his mind. Girls didn't want guys who were shorter than them. If he drank from the small fountain, that would only remind her how short he was. Only a few steps away, he needed to decide now. Joy's back ached. Her pack was so heavy, and leaning over the water fountain only aggravated it more. She couldn't take it anymore. Needing relief, she slid the backpack off her shoulders. Her hair caught in the strap. As the pack slid, it took her wig with it. Mortified, she turned, trying to catch it before it fell. Samuel saw her wig fall to the ground. It all made sense now. That's why she was so skinny. The helping family thing was a lie. She spun around and he caught her eyes. Panic written on her face. He needed to do something to help to get the attention off of her. Looking around, no one seemed to notice, yet. Weaving down the hall faster, he dodged through. Taking his speed up to a sprint, he hoped to grab attention. It wasn't enough. He needed more. Song still playing in his ear, he opened his mouth and sang along. Quiet at first, then louder. Making a great display, he sang out with all his heart, as loud as he could. Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. He grabbed the nearest girl's hand and dropped to one knee. But here's my number, so call me maybe. Let me go, the girl recoiled, pulling her hand away. What is he doing? A guy next to him asked. Scanning the faces, all eyes were turned to him. He kept it up, singing his heart out, gathering a crowd till he finished the chorus. Glancing back, there was no sign of joy anywhere. Hopefully she was able to get her wig back on without anyone noticing. With every shred of dignity torn from him, he rose to his feet and walked on as if nothing happened. But he saw everyone's criticizing looks and heard their comments. Aaron and his posse were there too, doubled over, laughing at him. Samuel grabbed a giant chocolate chip cookie and put it on his tray. 
Today wasn't all bad. Cookies always made him feel better. Scanning the cafeteria, he spotted Joy. There was an extra seat next to her, too. He was ten feet away when Aaron sat next to her. She was all smiles and was laughing. Sick to his stomach, he kept walking, heading for the corner where there was an empty table. Joy couldn't believe her luck. Aaron seemed as if he liked her. He was so cute, and he was talking with her. Her heart skipped a beat, and she lost her appetite. Reaching for her chocolate milk, she washed down the bite of cookie in her mouth. Hey, Tiny, Aaron called to someone behind her. Turning around, she saw Samuel. Why don't you give us an encore? Aaron spoke loud enough to gather people's attention. Samuel hung his head and kept walking. Anger rose inside of Joy. No one knew what Samuel had done for her, and now Aaron was embarrassing him further. How could he be such a jerk? Joy stood up and grabbed her tray. Hey, where are you going? Aaron asked. To go sit with my friend, Joy retorted as she followed Samuel. She couldn't believe she had wasted two whole years missing out on a real friendship. Samuel plopped his tray down on the abandoned table and sat down. Looks like he was going to eat by himself again. A warm hand touched his shoulder, and he turned. Thank you for earlier. Joy smiled at him. She set her tray down and sat next to him. She picked up her half-eaten chocolate cookie and smiled. Mind showing me again the proper way to eat a cookie? At that moment, Samuel knew Joy was back. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you use this information to strike up a local conversation. Check us out at macmillanlibrary.org to see upcoming events, including concerts, speakers, movies, and more. We also have free online classes through Gale Courses, as well as a host of databases for your research needs. If you can't find what you're looking for, stop in at the information desk. The Macmillan Conversation Maker podcast can be found at macmillanlibrary.org backslash podcast.